Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the coverage of 9-11. The world and the country look back at 20 years since the attacks of 9-11-2001, and it raised for us a lot of questions about how the media did through this anniversary, how it noted it, what was different about this coverage versus the coverage in previous years, what it tells us about how media itself is changing. I'm really happy to be joined by John Alsop, who wrote about the anniversary coverage for CJR's morning newsletter, The Media Today. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. We don't do this enough. We don't. So you spent uh, part of the weekend sort of uh, watching and reading and listening to how news outlets were kind of marking this anniversary. Um, as I said, people can read um, some of what you thought in the newsletter, but tell me what sort of surprised you most, looking back. Um, I don't know how surprised I was by any of it. I don't think there was anything that stunned me, let's put it that way. Um, there was, I think my sort of primary observation was there was just so much coverage. Obviously, everyone expected there to be a lot of coverage for the 20th anniversary. Um, but it really it really kind of felt like every news organization and every beat within every news organization sort of found their angle. You know, it's just kind of, if you, if you can think of a sort of field of human activity that may have been changed by 9-11, or even one that you might not think was changed by 9-11, there's probably an article somewhere saying how 9-11 changed that thing that was published in the last couple of weeks. So I guess, yeah, while I wasn't stunned, there's, there was a lot of coverage. I think maybe the extent of it did kind of surprise me, even with that, even with that expectation. Can I just pause you on that? I mean, this whole thing about like, different outlets sort of finding their own story um, in, in 9-11. I mean, it reminds me of the days, the days after the attacks when, when people were like, well, I live in Topeka and what, here's what, here's what my morning was like. And it was really traumatic or, you know what I mean? Um, so it, it, it was such an enormous event that it kind of connected everybody. I'm wondering what you thought though about it kind of thematically, whether, whether, most of what you read, and this is not to be incredibly dismissive, although maybe a little bit dismissive, but was there a sameness to it? Was it like everybody sort of hit the same notes? Um, or did you find like there was like strikingly different reactions? Mm. Well, I think, um, you know, it's always hard to generalize in media criticism, but sometimes it is easier to generalize than at other times. And I think this is definitely one of those where it's very hard to generalize because, as I said, because there was just like so much coverage. Mm. So yes, of course, some of it was inevitably sort of repetitive and, and similar. Um, but I think that was more because there was a lot of it than because it, it all kind of fell into the same framing traps. The, the one exception to that that I would probably note was a lot of the, not the sort of actual thoughtful kind of articles and features that were written about it, but more the sort of like punditry and TV commentary. A lot of it was sort of framed around this idea of unity, right? And specifically sort of bemoaning the lack of unity now in the response to the pandemic and contrasting that with the sort of sense of common purpose that America had after after 9-11. Um, yeah, and I've, I've written a lot about this in the past um, with relation to other political stories, but I do think that you know, there is this tendency in American political journalism to sort of celebrate unity and then and related concepts like bipartisanship as good things in and of themselves, right? It's like, 
unity is an aim that you should strive for. Bipartisanship is, is a good thing, and you should strive for that. And the sort of content of what you're unifying around, or the bipartisan deal that you've made, is is sort of secondary. And I definitely think that was the case with some of this unity coverage around nine eleven. Um, first of all, I just don't think it was really true, um, or at least you know the the conception of unity in the aftermath of nine eleven was clearly exclusionary of lots of people. I mean, um, you know, Muslim Americans and other people who were racially abused. For one, uh, as as the sort of months and years went by, um, you know, critics of military intervention in the Middle East were often sort of marginalised or or dismissed as well. So I think there's there's kind of that. But I think also that you know to the extent there was a sense of political unity, it was it was sort of weaponized into something very toxic and violent and dangerous by by not just the Bush administration, but, you know, pretty much the entire mainstream political spectrum. Um, yeah. And I felt that a lot of the coverage of the unity didn't really reflect on that and instead sort of treated it as this sort of halcyon moment of, you know, political consensus. And it would be great if we could get get that back now. And I just don't think that's that's the case. So I would say, yeah, that was that was the that was probably the most common narrative that I observed that I had a problem with. I think what we've learned in the last five years is that unity and bipartisanship is sort of overrated, right? <laughs> um, like right now, like bipartisanship is, I think, not a goal that a lot of people are searching for. I mean, there's one party that's gone sort of off the rails and I don't know that we need to be talking about bipartisanship. We just need to get stuff done. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, Maybe totally. a separate, but but I don't. I mean, even even that very notion is a kind of relic of a world that doesn't exist right now. Yeah, I think it's. I think, and again, maybe this is something of an aside, but I do think that a lot of political journalism generally conflates two things, right? One of which is, you know, the very very dangerous ways in which the fabric of American democratic life is being sort of torn apart right now, right? Like, it obviously, is dangerous to have. Um, people believing that the election was stolen or that COVID is fake or, or whatever. Um, and to the extent that that's kind of a, a question of unity, then yeah, of course, it's, it's bad that people don't agree on a, on a set of kind of common facts as, as, as the cliche goes. But I think that's often conflated with, um, you know, the absence of political consensus in, in terms of like, people should agree with each other on substantive political matters. And I don't see why that's something that's desirable um, at all, or at least not across the board. Like, I don't see why it's desirable for a, a, you know, an infrastructure bill to be bipartisan above it being desirable that it's a good infrastructure bill that fits, you know, that fixes America's infrastructure needs. Um, and yeah, and I think, and I think you do see that kind of privileging of consensus as opposed to just like agreeing on a kind of like groundwork within which to conduct politics, actually sort of agreeing on the politics as something that people strive for uh you know in 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 coverage of american governance and i think we definitely saw that in the 911 coverage this this kind of a, this unity idea started from the very fair premise that you know the way a lot of people re- are reacting to covid is very bad and very toxic and very dangerous and then kind of tried to superimpose on that and we should make this like the aftermath of 911 when everyone agreed about what needed to be done when actually the thing that was done was very bad yeah no and i remember i mean so i um was working for the wall street journal on 9-11 and was, and was down at the trade centers when the second plane came up and ran to the general office and then ran home. Um, and, uh, and then sort of helped uh, organize that coverage from my Brooklyn apartment before the um, journal went to New Jersey for like a couple of years. Um, and there was, and, and there, I mean, and I remember even at the time feeling very uncomfortable um, and this was like 
pre-Murdoch Wall Street Journal, so it wasn't crazy, yeah. Um, but feeling very uncomfortable with the sort of, um, uh, with the war drums that started immediately, right? Yeah. Um, and also, like, the coverage at the time, I mean, I don't know, all this talk, talk of unity is true, but the coverage at the time scared the shit out of people. Like, mm-hmm. like there, there was just this sense that, and, and maybe it's fair because, you know, the intelligence community didn't know any better, but there was a sense that, like, these attacks were going to be coming weekly or daily or certainly monthly. That, like, this was the beginning of a kind of wave of terror. Um, and the, the coverage really reflected that and sort of amped that up. Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was truly terrifying, but, but also in hindsight, it was, it was wrong. Um, and, and I just think, I just think also just sort of, it, it was very unpatriotic in general to, to pump the brakes on any of that. Yeah. Not only, yeah. not only unpatriotic, but it was very, um, uh, contrarian from a media perspective. Like it, it was, you know, nobody was saying like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, like we, I mean, it's, it's not fair to say nobody, but there wasn't a lot of voices saying, you know, we really got to be careful about people's civil liberties here. We have to be careful about like, are we sure we know what the intelligence is? We have to be careful about like, um, you know, we need some checks on the president as he's like marching us to war. Um, and the media was as, was as sort of on board on all that as anybody. So like, I don't know if I saw enough of that in the rounds of coverage over the last few days. Yeah. And on the sort of subject of, were you surprised by anything? I would actually say personally, I was quite surprised with how much of the coverage in in major publications was quite critical or very critical in some cases of, you know, those wars of the erosion of civil liberties of, you know, the sort of rampant Islamophobia um, that, that followed 9-11. Uh, and obviously it was not sui generis had, had existed before as well, but obviously it was hugely amplified by 9-11. Um, and yet, you know, I think I had two observations about that, which were, you know, it's, it's great to see this critical coverage and it's great to see news organizations sort of really, yeah, as I said, thinking critically about these about these huge problems that followed 9-11. Um, I, I would argue that the coverage of the wars has probably been amplified by the recent withdrawal from Afghanistan, right? And, and the coverage of that, I think, is, is a separate matter, which I've written about a lot and, and has been in many ways, I think, very flawed. Um, but I do think it's put the, the failure of that war and of the war in Iraq kind of back in a central public spotlight heading into this anniversary which which as we said is already going to kind of generate a lot of coverage um and so yeah and so i think they, those two stories kind of fed off each other in in a way um but yeah well, you know I, so yeah ask you about this like i mean you and i exchanged sort of email about this but like the idea of looking back retrospectively and being more critical than you than the coverage was at the time and it did. Re- it reminded me of, um, of of the Trump coverage, which initially was like, "Hey, this guy's crazy!" Like, but it's going to be hilarious, and and he's really going to shake it up, and and he's a maverick, and and sure, there were some people who were like, "Whoa, this this is actually really dark. Like, this isn't funny," but not uniformly. And then, and it was only much later that um, the press on mass sort of, you know realized that we were dealing with a, you know, um, somebody who was really quite dangerous to the democracy, but it didn't happen at the time. Um, 
and we're talking here about the same thing as it relates to um, the response to 9-11. I mean, what is it, do you think, that makes it harder to sort of like um, think critically like this in the moment? Because you would think that's part of the job of things like this. Yeah, well, I do, you know, I do think in part um, that it's completely understandable or maybe not completely understandable. It's it's very understandable that um, journalists, you know, particularly journalists like yourself who were um, who were there sort of on the ground actually experiencing this. But but as you said at the beginning, you know, it, it's not just limited to people who are in who are in New York. Everyone, you know, remembers where they were on, on 9-11, who was old enough to, to remember. Um, it was sort of a hugely transformative and very frightening thing for, for really everyone. And yeah, and obviously, you know, um, it takes time sometimes to gather perspective on really traumatic things that happen. And obviously, as time goes on, more and more things happen, right? It's not like, you know, um, the towers came down and America invaded Afghanistan and, and Iraq, and that all played out the next day. I mean, there's some credible reporting to suggest that, that invading Iraq was like very, very quickly on the mind of senior officials. But obviously, it did take months and years for that to play out. So, yeah, you do have these dynamics with with time that are kind of unavoidable. That that being said, though, um, you know, it is it is a journalist's job, and obviously, I think we at CGR have been very clear that we don't think it's a journalist's job to sort of put all emotion and all personal life experience to the side, and actually that can that can inform coverage. But but I think that kind of whole debate that's going on around objectivity at the moment, um, critics of of the sort of new position on it quite often will say, well, this is about introducing subjectivity in, into coverage, and I think that the people who have the most serious vision for sort of overcoming objectivity in journalism will say, but we're not proposing to make journalism unfair. We're not, you know, we're still saying that you should, that all journalists when they're, when they're covering stories should kind of take a step back and try and step out of themselves and sort of critically think about what they're covering. It's just, it's just to say that it's impossible to completely divorce who you are and where you come from, from your, from your, um, from your work. And yeah, and it is our jobs, I think, to try and step back from stuff that we're covering. I think that, in the kind of crucible of a hugely like uncertain, violent, shocking moment, that step is a lot further than than it would be if you're just sort of sitting at your desk writing a, an article about you know, sort of a routine political thing or, or a cultural thing or whatever. Um, but I also think, you know, we shouldn't let the kind of structures of the news business off the hook, right? I mean, this, you know, um, the, the industry, as we all know, is still um far too unrepresentative of minorities and marginalized groups uh if there had been more um muslim americans with prominent kind of regular perches um within the media industry at that time i think the um you know the reaction to 9-11 would probably have looked very different just to sort of cite one example so i think it's kind of a, a combination of understandable human experience but also just like the deeply flawed ways in which the media is structured and it's kind of you know particularly at the top mainstream outlets there's the sort of insufficiently critical relationship with american political power and and its lack of diversity clearly those things did set the the course for or, or sort of um enabled there to not be enough critical scrutiny applied to all of the mistakes that were subsequently made so so i think it's um i think it's probably a combination of of those things so what is it that what is it in your gut you fear that we're making these same mistakes about now by for example covid yeah or um, um, what is it that you're like thinking like we're not 
we're, we're going to look, we're going to be having this conversation about that in whatever years time. So my worry with, so it is, it is related to COVID. Yes. Um, uh, so, so COVID and, and the climate crisis, I would say, are the two stories that jump to mind. Um, and I do think there's a lot of excellent coverage going, sort of going on around both of those stories. And I think they're, they're both very different to 9-11 in terms of the sort of dynamics of how they unfold as news stories. I mean, both transformative, maybe more so than 9-11 in, in, in their own way. Um, but it's not like kind of one viscerally shocking kind of image driven attack that everything then unfolds from it's not sort of one explosive moment it's much slower um and you know i think that has led to a difficulty in kind of keeping up the level of shock and outrage in coverage you you know obviously you see all all these deaths happening every single day you know at a toll so many more uh, you know times as significant than the death toll from 9-11 um uh, yeah and it and it's obviously as we saw after 9-11 as we've discussed that sort of shock and anger can be marshaled into or you or sort of exploited to pursue violent kind of retributive unhelpful policies but it also can be a galvanizing force to change things for the better and so i think my worry is not that we're currently screwing up the coverage of the pandemic um i, I mean i don't certainly don't think the coverage of the pandemic is anywhere near perfect um and i write about it regularly and i think there are many respects in which it could be better but i think you know the story is getting a lot of attention and generally it tends to be organized around the principle of like you know get vaccinated and do good public health things um in the sort of mainstream on the mainstream media side of things um i guess my worry will be and obviously we're not at this point yet, and it's hard to even define this point, as I wrote last week. But when the pandemic sort of ends in America or the Western world generally, um, whatever point where we we consider it to sort of be behind us, what happens then? And my worry is that instead of kind of, instead of the media sort of retaining a sense of urgency around it and saying, that was really terrible, we need to stop this from happening again, what does that require? Well, that requires, you know, a better pandemic preparedness plan, it requires huge investment in public health, Um, you know, a a sort of more healthy civic relationship to science and science education, all those things. For me, you know, they're the the kinds of things coming out of the pandemic whenever we get to that point that the the media sort of needs to convene a conversation around. Obviously, it's not completely within the media's power to ensure those things are executed, Um, but to sort of retain a focus on those things and not just move on. And my, yeah, my main worry to come back to your question is that we will just move on, that the coverage will continue to be urgent and good until the pandemic sort of peters out. But at that point, the, the sort of mainstream media reaction will be, well, thank God that's behind us. Let's kind of chase the next big, story that we're reacting to um yeah. i think that's what it worries reminds, me. reminds me that new york magazine cover story recently on on fomo as it relates to the um the pandemic like fear of missing out and people are just like let's go let's just get back and let's do it and, mm. and of course that hasn't materialized it turned out to be premature yeah there so, was an, an article just quickly last year and i forget who wrote it now um, around the 9-11 anniversary last year, so, so yeah, what would have been the 19th anniversary, they made the case that basically, um, you know, America and the world essentially, much of the world essentially memory hold the 1918 and, and sort of subsequent years flu pandemic, right? Because it was, well, for various reasons, which, I, which, which you can kind of read in this piece, and I'll try and dig it out. But, but like, it, it was not sort of a, a moment of heroism it reflected you know it was, it was a very hard moment that people wanted to forget and also one that sort of reflected human failure to kind of get a grip on 
something that was a huge problem and affected everyday life. I think that's kind of a similar a similar reality now, right? Um, you know, you remember 9-11, and of course it was a huge, huge intelligence failure and lots of things about the fact that it happened don't reflect well um, on, on America. But, but I think that if you're going to put your focus on the quote-unquote unity in the days afterwards and the scenes of heroism of firefighters kind of running into the wreckage and all the rest of it, you can say, well, we were attacked and we, and we stood up and we responded. Um, I think with the pandemic, I mean, it's also true, right? Um, you can still you can tell similar stories about you know first responders and uh, and multiple instances of kind of civic solidarity. But I think as the story just kind of drags on and on, and America fails to get the pandemic under control, still it becomes a story of failure, and that becomes the overarching narrative. I think, and I think that it's more tempting to just kind of ignore those stories and move on from them because they're uncomfortable, right? And yeah. I guess that sort of undergirds my fear of of the kind of moving past it uh what strikes me is that both 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 COVID and 9-11 are stories about fear like people uh not so much not as much now as relates to COVID but certainly for quite a while like I mean it was everybody was people were really afraid and that fear sort of was shot through in everything we did and in all parts of our life and and that's one uh, and that certainly was the case with my life. And that's sort of one, um, that's just an emotion that I don't find journalism covers very well. Like just that kind of like bone level dread, fear. It's hard to write about. It's, it's, it's much easier to write about sort of concrete things or actions or government moves or whatever. But, you know, may, maybe this is not, maybe this is not the realm of journalism. Maybe this is the realm of fiction or art or something. But um, I mean, I, 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 I have thought the same thing for quite a while that like, when you look back at this pandemic, is the journalism of the day really gonna have captured what this moment is like? And there were a few, there are a few cases that have, um, but I think a lot of it is still too procedural. Yeah, I think I just think a lot of it has got sucked into, especially on sort of, you know, liberal cable news channels. A lot of it has just got sucked into this endless dynamic of scolding unvaccinated people, specifically unvaccinated white conservative Trump supporters sort of day in and day out and saying, yeah, it's become kind of frustrated and exasperated in tone. And it really seems to move beyond that. Um, And obviously those feelings are completely legitimate, but I also think they do hugely oversimplify vaccine skepticism as an issue number one um and also i mean in reality the people who are watching this kind of commentary probably agree with it or or the vast majority of them do certainly more people watching it will have been vaccinated than the percentage of people who've been vaccinated in the population at large so that that sort of feels repetitive and echo chamber to me and i'm not sure it's super helpful at the same time though like covid is affecting every single part of our lives um and i do think there is a lot of good journalism going on that's kind of charting those changes and, and interrogating them um i mean yeah it's, i think actually I, I remember seeing covid referred to even in the very early part of it as like a slow motion 9 11 and i think yeah. in that sense is i think that certainly is, is, is a true observation in many ways uh even though as i said it's a very different type of attack but i well, not attack very very different type of crisis um but i think i think the fact that it is that kind of slow motion thing that is still ongoing has enabled journalists to kind of find their feet a bit and orient their way around it and kind of critically dig into it right i think 9-11 was an event that happened and then you had the whole kind of aftermath but that sort of 
I, I guess, was something that maybe you sort of felt like you were chasing a bit more because I mean, I wasn't a journalist at the time. In fact, I was eight, I think. So, you know, I don't I don't necessarily know this from from firsthand experience, but it does seem to me like the type of story where you would be reacting to the event and then reacting to the reactions to the event and not this kind of crisis that sort of as a crisis just goes on and on and on. Um, at some point, you, you do kind of find your footing within within that dynamic, I think. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to compare the two. All right, John, it's great to talk. Kyle, can I ask you one question very quickly? Sure. I did. I read a lot um, over the weekend, just in terms of this volume of coverage that we were discussing at the beginning, um, from people who were there that day or, or who just have bad memories of it. Generally, saying that they sort of tried to avoid the the coverage to the extent possible um, because they found it, you know, traumatized them or just they just simply didn't want to relive that day. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, with the volume, the sort of volume that we were talking about, it is incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard to avoid that coverage. I was wondering how you sort of felt, you know, being kind of bombarded with all that as someone who, as someone who was there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, so my story was that, you know, down there, I, uh, but, but 9-11 really sort of transformed my life in a way, like it, it sort of uprooted and uprooted my family and, and. Um, and eventually, you know, I was, I was friendly, I was, I was a friend and a former co-worker of Danny Pearl, who was murdered after, um, afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, it was, um, it was a really dark period for me. Um, and I've had like my, my sort of ups and downs in terms of my response. For instance, one, I've never been to the memorial. And I have no interest in that, even though people tell me it's an amazing place and I could go. Mm. Um, but then I have a weird, like, conflicting. Um... Well, the other thing I do, I do every year almost as a practice, make a point of, and this sounds kind of cheesy, but I do it, I, I, I make a point of reaching out to an FDNY person and mm -hmm. just say, hey, really appreciate you. That's it. And sometimes shaking them. I do that every year. So that's something that I do into the honor of it. Um, but, but, you know, like, I do, like, I did it this year, I do find myself occasionally getting sucked in. I, you can watch the kind of, like, real-time coverage of the day on YouTube, and even, I think, until recently, I don't know if they still do it, but MSNBC used to play, replay it on my own. Oh, I'm pretty sure they did this year. Yeah, yeah. Like, in the middle um, of the night or something, but. I, I do find myself watching that, um, not not hours, but I do find myself like spending a little bit of time with it, which um, I don't know what that's about because it's very disturbing. Um, but I do it. Um, but I don't. I, I don't read much. Like I didn't. I, I know there were some fantastic pieces, this, especially this year. I didn't. I don't think I read a single one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just. I mean, and maybe it goes back to my question about like, does it reflect the? the Totality of the experience, and I and I found over the years that those pieces just got. And partly it's because they didn't, they're not worried about me. Um, God bless them. Um, and maybe I should do that just to get it out of the way. But um, yeah, I I, I I don't I don't exactly know who the. I mean, I'm trying to think about like who's the audience for those pieces, right? Is it people who didn't know it, or um, I mean, for instance, like. I have not read the Jen Senior piece in the Atlantic, which people say is a 
astonishing book. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know. um, it is very good. I'm sure. Um, I just, uh, I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like, I, not, I don't completely shut it out because I do watch it. Um, and, I mean, I happen to live in a place where I can see, can see the sort of top half of the the light installation that they put up every year at 9-11. And every year, I don't, I don't look at that with like a pain of pain. I actually look at it and say, that's super cool. And I'm really glad they did. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think like it's complicated. I think it's super complicated. Is that, what do you make of that? I'm interested that you sort of watch stuff more than read stuff. Um, yeah. Would you say that kind of reflects a general media consumption preference yeah, for you well, or is there something about the, this sort of event that makes it easier to process visually or, or is it just kind of ritualistic to to watch i mean how do you how do you sort yeah, of understand I mean, that no my my media diet is usually the opposite i usually do more than i want uh, maybe it's because it's passive more passive mm-hmm. and i don't have to do a lot i can just turn this on but again like i think i think what i'm looking for and maybe this Jim Senior piece is the answer. <laughs> maybe what I'm looking—I think what I'm looking for is just an emotional hit. You know what I mean? Which that coverage gives you, because um, I mean, I lived through every one of those things. Yeah, it's interesting because we've we've written about this, and Amanda, who produces this podcast, has written about this. I think last year. Um, but like this, you know, it is a very visual thing, and it's also sort of. Not like one moment specifically, but one one day, right? Or one sort of stretch of a few hours when this happened. I mean, when we sort of look back and try and process the pandemic once that's over and, and sort of assess the coverage of that, there's, there's nothing equivalent where MSNBC are going to re-air. Well, they're going to re-air their entire footage of the last two years. I mean, you know, they, obviously there have been key moments throughout the pandemic inflection points, but it's, yeah. it's a lot more sort of invisible and vague and fuzzy and i do yeah. wonder you know I do, I do sort of wonder not having this personal relationship to 9-11 like you do um at all um yeah i sort of wonder like this is the i guess the first kind of big traumatizing global news event that i've really directly been personally affected by it sort of makes me wonder how how we'll look back on it yeah. um, in 20 yeah. years in 20 years time how do you how do you sort of respond to the 9-11 stuff i mean to point out your, your mm. So is it is it like a, a kind of morbid fascination where you like you, you you want to see and read everything because it's so astonishing and you I mean I'm sure you remember it but you don't have like but um, I mean you weren't there um, right. how enthusiastically how how do you consume it Well I guess yeah I guess to write the newsletter I try and consume media coverage through a sort of intellectual Right. lens anyway and i guess I, I wouldn't say that that's been any i wouldn't say this one's affected me any any differently to like most things that i that i think about i mean there's been a lot that's horrible and bleak to to think and write about recently unfortunately um i do remember it i mean i was as i said i was eight years old and i think i remember being in the car and it being on the radio and sort of having to ask my parents what had happened and i honestly remember very little apart from that um but i do yeah i do remember being affected by it but not in a way where I sort of fully understood what was going on. What I would say, though, is my sort of formative years, um, where I sort of grew up, but also became like politically conscious and 
and, and sort of ultimately went off to university and, and all the rest of it were hugely marked by the war on terror, right? And that sort of existential fear of, of terrorism, um, which was totally channeled through like media coverage and, and was definitely an overreaction. I mean, at the very least in hindsight, but and also probably at the time, if I'd been sort of in a position to, criti- to critique that coverage and, you know, not sort of 12, 13, 14 years old, whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I lived in a small, a very small village in the southwest of England where it was, you know, it was incredibly safe. I believe one year there were literally zero crimes committed in our zip code area per like, um, you know, thousand people or whatever. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, sort of the prospect, I remember being sort of scared of the prospect of going to big cities at various times during this, during this period thinking, oh, well, you know, what happens if terrorists like blow up the train or something? Um, and that, yeah. And that's like. It is a weird thing to sort of assess the media coverage and think, you know, even even as a child, I was sort of maybe not directly always consuming that coverage, but definitely consuming it like through a parent. Right. Or like through, you know, it was somehow kind of filtering through to me through journalism and through mass culture um, and then sort of changing the way that I felt about stuff. Um, Yeah. So I guess it was weird sort of this weekend to revisit the coverage and kind of think how it might have been different and how. Yeah, you know, if, if, the, if the war on terror had not been what it was and the media hadn't kind of enthusiastically cheered it on or, or sort of large swathe of the media and, and therefore kind of validated as this sort of existential threat. I do sort of wonder how that would have changed things emotionally for people of, of my generation, as it were. Um, but yeah, I guess that's my, my reflection on it. All right. Well, I appreciate this chat. Uh, we, we actually have to go to a meeting, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> What goes um, on? You, can read, you can read John's newsletter on the uh, this morning on Monday. Also, um, John has a piece in the upcoming print issue of CJR, which is out this week. It's the politics issue, um, and it looks at really, and it's relevant to what we're talking about about ways to sort of reset the way we think about government politics. So check that out at CJR.org, and I'm sure you'll be seeing more of that um, as John and Tina go. Um, again, great to talk to you. Thanks for having me.